It's time for us to talk to one of the great people of the industry. It's good morning to you, Matt Harrop. Hello, Rich. <laughs> and you got Courtney here as well, bud. Hey, mate, Hello, how are you going? <laughs> I'm very well, thank you. So, joining us from Silent Wave Vineyard out there, looks like a nice morning. Yeah, yeah, beautiful day up here. We um we had uh, I was telling you earlier, mate, we had my daughter's twenty first birthday party up here, so <laughs> we're just sort of cleaning up and the last the last the last guests sort of unpacking themselves some swags and tents around the place and oh, they'll get going. But it was um it's a beautiful morning up here, you know, and it's a little bit scary actually how this spring has suddenly sprung, you know, like yeah. it's it's uh we need a bit more rain and one of the things we face up here in these we get these dry springs is a bit of spring frost. So we've got our fingers crossed that 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 we do keep it a little bit of wet weather for the next six weeks until we get out of the frost danger period, you know. Have you had any buds burst yet? No, we haven't. We haven't. We've got sap flow. The pruning's finished. We haven't. We've got nothing green up here. So right. look, within the next within the next ten days, we'll see the first sort of green flush, I suppose. The buds are swelling, but there's nothing woolly. So maybe ten days, two weeks, we might start seeing the first little bit of green. But as I say, we 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 we've really enjoyed the last sort of four vintages, these these um, Lanina vintages, because it's been you no know, cold, wet winters and delayed bud bursts, so less fro less less phosphorus. So who knows, mate? One thing I've learned about in this game is um, the thing you can't control is what comes out of the sky or what doesn't come out of the sky. No? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely not. So for the listeners that don't know Matt Harrop, I mean, he lives on a vineyard called Silent Way. He makes a wine with his brother called Amen Break from Central Otago. Um, used to run Shadowfax, but now it's Curly Flat. So how did you end up uh, – well, you're a Kiwi, obviously. So tell us about that first. Where did you grow up, mate? Yeah, I grew up in Auckland and, and um, uh, got a job as a young guy at a place called Novelos, which is in West Auckland, and, and sort of has a cellar hand for vintage, and they kept me on for a couple of years, and I really got into it there, and there was a, there was a fellow that had been to Roseworthy there, and he sort of told me about that, so I moved to Roseworthy in the late 80s and spent three years there getting a winemaking degree, and then and then I left Roseworthy and learned how to make wine, I started to learn how to make wine anyway, yeah. <laughs> and uh Spent a few years travelling around in, in, in Hunter Valley and in, in Marlborough for a couple of years, and then back to, to Melbourne to Shadowfax. And then at the end of 17, um, Curly Flat underwent, a, underwent an ownership change, and and um, Jennifer, the new owner, needed needed someone to oversee production. And so she, she asked me if I'd be interested in coming on board, and, and I said, yeah. So I've spent the last, coming up six years, last six vintages at, at Curly Flat. And um, we've obviously had your well, I've had your wife on the show as well. That's Tamara Grishy from uh, from Langton. So, you, how did you meet Tam? Well, mate, she's she's both the, the brains and the looks of the operation. <laughs> um, There's no doubt about uh, that. <laughs> um, we actually met at uni. We met at university, oh, so all that long yeah. time ago. So we just we were laughing at the twenty first last night. We've been together for so bloody long. <laughs> um, but no, she's she's obviously running Langtons and doing a great job. And, yes, indeed. But we've we've been in this sort of this one thing we've always always loved, always shared in common is this this love of wine. And obviously she's from a restaurant background way back. Her parents were restaurateurs in Queensland. That's and, right. Yeah, up in Cairns, wasn't it? Uh, Port Douglas. Oh, yeah. Port, Douglas. Port Douglas. Yeah, yeah, that's right. She was, yeah. she was born up there, and so we always wanted we always sort of wanted a when we had kids we wanted to get out of the city, and so we we sort of cast our net sort of an hour's drive out of Melbourne and, and finally found this place after a few years of looking and, and, and bought this property up here and moved up here uh, full-time in 2011. And uh, one thing I have noticed about Harrop family get-togethers, and this has come from <laughs> from Instagram and from your son Jai as well, who's, uh, who's uh, about to finish his winemaking degree, um, is your love of Wendery. Is that a family thing? Oh, classic. <laughs> 
Well, look, it is, it is, in my opinion, the Wendere is the most important brand that Australia has. It's the greatest wine producer in the country, as far as I'm concerned, bar right. none. And, uh, yeah, I've been on the mailing list since 1998. Right. And yeah. uh, it's, so we've got a really good collection down there. And we actually had on Tuesday was Ivy's birthday. So yes. for 21st, we had, a, had an 02 Cab Malbec, which was just about as, as good as they can get. It was perfect. It was a beautiful bottle of wine. And, yeah. you know, it's such a, it's such a historic uh, wine. It's really old school. Thing. Yeah, but it's, it does old school so well. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, totally, totally. Uh, there's a couple of things about Windery that sets it apart. I mean, I've never actually had a bad windery. Yeah, I've had cork. I've had cork bottles of windery. Yeah, and young bottles. Had, you know, but the, the the quality across the board, whether they four, five, or six reds every year, is, is extraordinary. But there's also it's probably I reckon it's the only wine that I can have a fair chance of picking if someone gives me a glass. I can smell that, taste it, and go. You know what I reckon? It's windery, and I don't think there's too many wines in the world actually that I can say that about. But I reckon right. I've got a better chance of picking a windery than else. So it's, it's actually. It has that thing that everyone talks about and very few people achieve, which is this it's bandied around too often, but it, it, it does taste the place. It tastes the wintery. Yeah. And and that's that's superbly cool, you know. And I don't know Tony and Lita, but they must be super cool people because they be they could be charging three times as much as they do and yeah. you know, they keep their prices reasonable and, and they just seem to be content happy people who just dig what they do and, and that's that's really cool that's good yeah i had a 15 um uh 2015 wendery shiraz a couple of months ago um yeah it's amazing it's beautiful not like, yeah, like, like, like uh, nothing i've ever had yeah they're, they're beautiful wines so yeah we've got a great collection down there we've yeah. got a it's the sort of thing that we, we pull out when we when we want to drink i suppose one of our favorite wines on the planet yeah, it was one of the first conversations Jai had with me when he was being a bit of a cheeky fella up in the love shack and he's like, what do you think about Wendery? And I was like, <laughs> what, is, how, what sort of a loaded question is that, mate? He's like 18, how much bloody Wendery have you had? And I, obviously, yeah, obviously a fair bit was the answer. Um, I, I rate the Cab Malbec, Matt. I reckon the Cab Malbec for me is one of the Clare Valley's great little things. Yeah, it's a, it's a really cool wine. And, and it, as you said, it, it, it's this old school thing, but it's also... It's measured, you know. The wines are always measured. I, yep. I, I agree with you, Rich. I like the blends of Shiraz Matara, the Cab Malbec. Yep. I buy, I buy them all, and honestly, that probably my—it's terrible to say this. So I had to pick a least favourite wines, probably the Shiraz, <laughs> which is. Which is <laughs> I feel terrible saying that. You know, pick the, pick your least favourite kid sort of thing. Yeah. But yeah, the blends are the blends are unique and they're they're amazing and they just work so well together. And that that Cab Malbec has uh, probably got the ageability of, of any of them as well. You know, the Tannin and the Malbec. Of the cab, it just works really well. It's great. What I've noticed about you, Matt, because we've we've only interacted, you know, we, I don't know you as well as I know Tamara, for instance, but I feel like I do because I know Jai well and all that sort of stuff. But there's a certain mellowness in you and a kind of comfortability. Is do you think that comes out in the way you make wine? Oh well, that's heavy, man. Wow. <laughs> Especially after a twenty-first. God damn. Well, okay. Let, let me let me let me reframe no, no. let me reframe it. Right. So when I worked at Medhurst, Simon Steele was the most chilled-out winemaker I've ever seen in my life, and he was like, "I got this from Matt Harrop." Mm. Oh, he's a great guy. He's a great guy, Steely, and a great winemaker. Yep. Look, mate. I guess I guess um, I learned pretty early on from some pretty some pretty people are pretty influential in in, in my thought process not only in, in, in you know overseeing the fermentation of grape juice into wine but how to work well with people and um you know a year with jeff grossett and then three years with ian riggs at brokenwood yeah, right. those things really as a young guy you know they they really 
I guess not consciously, but I look back on it now, and and yeah, they had a massive effect on me about how to not only how to think about wine and how to do a job, but how to get on with people. And Riggs is just the classic mate. I mean, you know, Riggsy, he's he's one of the most generous men, um, with his knowledge and his wine, but he's chilled as well. I never saw Riggsy yeah. jump up and down. Three three years I worked with him, I'm still pretty close to him now. And so I just I, I guess it's just sort of how do you get the best out of people? How do you get the best out of what happens? Is it's not about whacking them with a stick, you know. It's mm. bringing people on the journey, and and you know, wine is generous. You know, this community that we're in, we're so lucky to be, and yeah. it's all about generosity, you know. And you've been, you've people have spared special bottles with you guys and with me, and yeah. by doing that, it's it, it breaks down a lot of barriers, and you know, you can get the best out of people, and and, and end up, I suppose, being pretty comfortable in what you do, and and certainly as I've got older. Um, I've got really comfortable, especially at Curly Flat, I think just now it's taken a long time, but just become super comfortable with, if we farm, if we farm well, what, what comes out the other end is going to be good. Yeah. Mm. Because we're not going to stuff it up. But if we farm well, the season's going to dictate how the wine, what shape it takes, what it tastes like, all that sort of thing. But if we do our job properly, it's a, it's a totally, like it's a, it's a, the wine's going to be good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and and so, yeah, well, it's big shout-outs to Ian, Les- Ian Leslie Riggs, who is the master <laughs> of teaching in in that way. So um, you said you've loved the last few vintages being La Nina vintages, Matt. Can you can you explain why that is? Because I've heard from a lot of other producers, oh, it's really hard with disease pressure and yada, yada, yada. Mm. Yeah. yeah, look, it is. And that's farming, mate. Um, look, the accountants weren't happy with 20 because the crops are so low, but we had a nice, we had a low crop in 20, 21, 22, 23 were all sort of average at curly fat. 21 was a little bit lower. But the, the reason I like them, Rich, is because I think they're so atypical, you know. Like that, that big yellow ball in the sky has a massive effect on Australian wine, you know. It was our catch cry for a generation, you know, sunshine in the glass. And it sort of yeah. becomes something that is so identifiable in Australian wine straight away. And we look for the old world, not for inspiration, but I suppose for pleasure more than anything. We drink those great wines. and. We never comment on the sun, you know. We look at the the warmies, what they're experiencing now, 18, 19, 20, same Burgundy, 03s. And yeah. we go, they sort of, they, they're, they're solar vintages, you know. That's how the French and Spain thought it's a solar vintage. So it's okay. It's like Buddha, it's super hot. And so we've had these four coolest seasons or definitely, you know, 20 to 23. And I just, I can't remember in my winemaking sort of career or life, you know, four vintages like that that were noticeably cooler, a little bit wetter. Yes, there was disease pressure. But the wines is going to be the interesting thing because they've they've got a purity. They have they're not sun drenched. There's no pruniness. There's no ripeness. There's no overripeness. There's no superturity. Yeah. They're just there's a real purity in the wines, and and I really like it because I know I know that it might not be next year, but whenever we're going to be screaming for rain, mate. We're going to be in the drought. We're going to be like, fuck. I wish we were back in rain, man. Like this is a big hot brown country, and 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 so I suppose that's why I like them because of their because their difference. Um, and there's going to be fascinating wines to watch as they unwind in the cellar as well. Yeah. One thing I, I found fascinating, Matt, I was lucky enough to go to a yeah, yeah. taste 51 vintages in a row of Redmond Cabernet. And oh, cool. Some of the blockbuster, you know, 98, 90, all that, they were actually quite disappointing. But, like, you know, 2011, 2000, 97, those inverted commas, much more tougher, wetter, cooler vintages, they actually were some of the most expressive wines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, you can you can look at it either way. In the cooler years and the wetter years, you've got to work harder in the vineyard. You know, you've got to 
get a little bit less canopy and then promote airflow and you've got to be more careful but maybe the other thing is that that you know the sun just has such a such a, a normalizing effect on everything you know you lose a lot of detail a lot of detail gets burnt off by not just by heat but by radiation as well and and that's one thing that's is is i've made more and more wine and got more vineyards under my belt is something that we really chasing not only curly cut i think everyone's chasing is this idea of detail the, the little frilly bits it's really easy to make <laughs> big black things you know big red things it's yeah. it's you know that's what we do yeah. that's what we do and and decided to, 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 to be making growing wine in a place like Macedon, which is nice and cold, you know, we've got the ability, hopefully, hopefully, depending on the year and depending that we do stuff right in the vineyard, to, to try and get a little bit more detail, a little bit more nuance into the wine and, and not just rely on power and strength. And it's pretty easy to get in Australia if you yeah. hang your grapes out and get them really ripe. And, you know, and it's not just us. I'm not just saying it's curly fat. I think that's, I think certainly can speak for Southern Victoria, Southern Australia for that matter, you know. Yeah. And um, we also just wanted to reference Amen Break, which is uh, this this $30 Otago Pinot Noir that just absolutely flies out the it door. It sings. <laughs> it's such an easy sell, though. Like, God, Central Otago Pinot is really something. But, um, yeah, no, $29, it's, um, it's, it's bloody amazing. It must be fun to make something with your bro as well. Yeah, and that started off as a as a as a bit of a side hustle. My brother Steve lives in the Waitaki Valley, which is North Otago, and and in two thousand and thirteen, we we got our heads together, and I bought some Chardonnay from a vineyard over here, and we bought some Pinot from a vineyard over there, and made it and shipped it out here, and we've been making it ever since. So we do a tiny bit of Chardonnay, and the, the Pinot project's growing and growing. So Steve oversees the vineyards. And, we get to pick, I suppose. He he, he contracts vineyard fruit from vineyards for other people. Uh, and we sort of, I guess, picked the eyes out of the fruit. We sent it down to Dean Shaw. Mm. I'm down in Sierra Kate at Maud made the first few vintages. Dean Shaw's been doing oh, yeah. it for the last few last few years at uh, it's two part of Cargo Wine Company. Two Paddocks is, is the is the brand that he makes with Sam Neill. Yeah. And 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 Dean does a really good job, you know. And so look, I, I guess people say it's crazy value. It's thirty bucks. It's a good wine, and that's music to our ears, man. Because neither of us have got a lot of time to sell it. You know, and one thing I've realised <laughs> a long time ago, you put the price for wine up, it's good, but you've got to spend more time selling stuff, you know? Yeah. And so we're, we're, we're really proud of that wine, and, and it's lovely to hear you guys enthused about it because it's, you know, there's a lot of great wine in Essential, um, but there's a lot of really expensive wine in Essential. Yeah. I, I, I don't see the... I don't see the, the quality price difference in a lot of them, if you know what I mean. Yeah. There are some amazing, you know, the, the headliners out of Central are fantastic. Yeah. But there's a lot of these things in it. Poker in 60, 70 bucks, and I taste them and go, well, yeah, it's good, but man, is it is it that much better than your second label or whatever? Yeah. Maybe this was me being fussy, I don't know. Oh, it's also not, it's not like Martin Bro, which is like 1% of New Zealand's wine. Mm. The Targo is not exactly tiny, tiny, tiny. Just yeah. at, this, at this junction, Actually, Matt, I just wanted to play the listeners the Amen break. Yes. So let's do it. I'm going to play at normal speed and then fast and then slow. So that's the normal speed. Here's your drum and bass version. <laughs> and there's your like real classic yeah. sort of. So. <laughs> So on on the front cover of the Pinot Noir, Matt, there is the little Amen Break drum bake break that's been written out. Yeah, look, Steve's a, Steve's a musician. Um, he's a bass player. He's been a muse his whole life. He's actually got a, a one of only a few um, analog recording studios at his place with a, with a, you know 
he does a lot of, lot of recording and producing for, for various local acts. And so we sort of wanted something to do with music. I mean, Silent Ways after Miles Davis' album in a silent way. And so somehow we stumbled across this idea. I think actually Tamara came up with this. You heard a, heard a documentary on it somewhere and, and yeah. said, hey, what about Alien Break? And so we researched it. And, and, and you know, it doesn't take a long time to realise just how important the Amen Break is, and, and certainly in, in digital and dance music, you know, recording from 1967, it's been sped up, chopped, slowed down. Yeah. Like Prodigy, NWA, you know, straight out of Compton. That I've been <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't even know it's used. It's been used on Coca-Cola ads. It's, it's everywhere. And, yeah. And once you hear it, we sort of say, well, if you've ever been dancing, you've probably heard the Amen Break in some, some, <laughs> in some way. So, and, you know, yeah, it's, it's just a nice, what do you call a label, you know, it's, it's a nice thing. And, yeah. Everyone's a DJ these days as well, and, and uh, like I say, it's, it's, it's pretty easy to go down the rabbit hole and learn a lot about it. It's a As a cultural phenomenon, it's a bit like the Wilhelm scream. Do you guys know what oh, that is? The, it's the Star Wars scream. Oh, it's in every Star yeah, Wars. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was in Lord of the Rings yeah. as well. You yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it was in bloody everything. Yeah. I love yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. No, it's fair enough. It's so a good, that, that, good, good, good analogy. That'll be your next label, Matt, uh, Wilhelm Scream. So. <laughs> I, 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 I think we've got enough labels, Rich. Yeah, right. Eh? Uh, for the time being, I reckon, I reckon uh, we're you just focused on it. It's, it's going really well. It's been good fun. And, yeah. and, and, you know, we're pretty determined to just keep the price for it. Steve and I don't rely on that for a, for a living, and that's one of the reasons why we can keep the price at a, at a decent decent level, you know. And, um that's good fun. It's yeah. good fun. It's good. It's awesome, mate. Now we've got a couple of minutes left. I just wanted to say, like, uh, you know, how how's Curly Flat working out for you? How, how's it? You know, have you, you know, you say it's taken you a while to sort of get in, get used to it. Maybe is is that you know you feel pretty comfy there now though? Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I, honestly, mate, it took. I was there in, in time for Vintage Eighteen. Uh, it was a great finish to start. Eighteen was a bit mm. like twelve, but like six. You know, just a super super dream vintage. You know, not too hot, not too cold. Crop levels are good. 19 had a burst of heat, 20 with the frost and the glow crops. And so I reckon from about 21, it took me, I'm still learning about the vineyard and always will, but I certainly feel more comfortable now from like the wines we've made from 20 or even 21, 22, 23, I think are, are really quite truly representative of Curly Flat. And I went in there with a total like just blank sheet of paper, man. I just need to know the vineyard. Yeah. Work out what to do in the winery. The best thing is, you know, and that balls takes a long time. It balls down to, you know, how do you extract? How long do you leave them on the skins? Or how do you set the vineyard up? And what coopers do you use? And mm. how long an oak? And blah, 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 blah. All these little tiny things yeah. that, you know, in combination with our working really closely with our vineyard manager, who's just a great guy. And, and, and one of those, you know, vineyard people are, are quite a unique breed, man. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> they just, no, oh, no, they just work. They just work, man. Yeah. They're just into it, into it all the time, eh? And Damien is exactly like that with his crew. Whether it's pruning or shoot thinning or whether he has to spray or whatever he's doing, he's just he's just fully into it. And and um I think we can see in the wines, we're really proud of the twenty twos, the twenty threes have just gone in the bottle. I guess they're looking I look at those wines and think they're a little more restrained. They're they're, they're showing less of the winemaking input in those wines, which mm-hmm. I really like. Yeah. Uh, 22 and 23, we're sort of, we're just, just like everybody, just trying to take a back seat. Of course we interfere. We're, we're full interventionists, man. We're, we're not minimal. We're, we're mi- minimal, <laughs> minimal, what is it? Minimal, maximum attention, minimal intervention. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. um, I recently had so, the, uh, the 22 Pinot. It was really beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Look, they're, they're, wines, that, they're wines that are just, um, Curly Flint's got a wonderful heritage of ageing, you know, for their yeah. Pinots especially. Mm. And 
and and you know, even I went in there and I wasn't determined to change anything. Look, the wines have probably altered in style a little bit. I don't think so dramatically. It's still the same fruit sauce. We're still doing pretty well. Everything the same as it always was. We probably we've dialed back the the time and oak a little bit. We moved to larger format wood. Yeah, uh, a little. I mean, finer finer grain wood, not as obvious oak, and and you know, a slightly more gentle extraction than than, than was in the past. And the other thing we've done, which which I think is really important, is we've started doing stuff pretty well the same to each part of the block, farming the block separately and then trying to make them the same every year. So with a few tweaks around them, but essentially each block that we make, we keep separate and we're, we're trying to do the same thing to those blocks every year, if that makes sense in the yep. winery. Yep. And and in that way, I think we can get a better understanding of the actual vineyard of, of what it does well. As we say, if we stand back, we might go, I oh, should, we should leave it on skin longer, pick it right back. All those things, will always alter and change, but essentially we just want to, and it's an old cliche, we just, we just want the vineyard to do its thing and, 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 and let itself, you know, come through in the wines. And I know even even 10 years ago, I found that a lot more difficult than I do now. I suppose it's just getting older, you know, and yeah. and, and and Larry McKenna said to me one time, I'll never forget it, you know, winemaking is about knowing when to do nothing. And it's, yeah. he's not the only guy that says that. And so it's taken me until my early buddy fifties to sort of actually really realize that. Yeah. And, and, and act on that, um, and and not be not be too worried. Just, yeah, I you, suppose it's part of the chill, you know. Just like yeah, it's interesting you say right. that because um, you know there's a lot of um, wineries who are about minimal intervention, and it's just like, oh yeah, when when actually is the the time where you where you where you leave it where you don't, and I think that's more of a you. It's it's more. I don't, I don't know if it's something people should have as a winemaking philosophy, but it's more just like what what are the grapes doing in front of you? Yeah. Yeah, well it's called it's called winemaking, not wine watching, you know. And yeah, so well, yeah. I, I, I I'm I'm really proud to say we intervene. We do because if we don't we'll end up with something bready or cidery or you know, yeah. aldehyde or oxidized or whatever, which we're not interested in. So yeah. we do what we think we have to do and yeah, you know, we learn every single year. But you know, it's just always I've always had the same view. When you pick a bunch of grapes that's the quality, yeah. That's it. That's the quality, yeah. yeah. All mm -hmm. we can do is take. We can maintain it, but we can't add to it. We can just take from it, you know. So exactly. Being yeah. being super careful, and that's and, and that's where the, the the you know we do nothing. We do no ads. We don't. You know. And I said, well, mate, that's why you won't taste like shit, bro. Yeah. Like <laughs> you, you, you actually, you, you need to do something, you know. And, that's the best. <laughs> uh, and I'm really I'm really comfortable with that, you know. Yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate that. I actually think it's, um, cause it, yeah, no, it's, it, it's great. No, that's great. And uh, Matt Harrop, uh, you know, thank you so much. We, we just, I could talk to you all day. We're just, we've just run out of time, but I just want to say a special thank you because I know it was a big night last night. So we appreciate you coming on the wine show, mate. No, thanks for having me, Rich. Really nice to talk to you.